What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. This is episode 101, and we have our very special quarterly guest, Kathy Hall, on talking about uh, summarizing Q4, as well as what's to come for the new year and Q1 specifically. Good morning, Kathy. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays, whatever it is that we all celebrate here. Uh, But it's good to see you again. Yeah, it's great to see you, and I look forward to being in the new studio sometime this year. Looks terrific. Yeah, I mean, happy happy holidays to you and the crew and everything. I'm always so happy to be back. Thank you. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. It is our second episode with the new setup here. If you missed episode 100, we debuted our new booth. Uh, great setup here. Nice spot to have uh, both guests in person, but obviously it has a virtual setup as well. So you're our, our first virtual guest in the new booth. You're our first guest of 2024. And uh, yeah, we look forward to having people or you know, having guests come on, especially in the summertime when the weather warms up a little bit. But look forward to having you maybe late March or early April, fresh off uh, fresh off AFPM, I guess, to come visit the new booth here. Yes. Yes. After I've added to the jet fuel demand and the gasoline demand, right? Yeah, that's what springtime's for, traveling. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So it's early January. I believe we did our last episode uh, sometime just before the start of Q4. Um, So we were talking a little bit before we started recording here just about some of the biggest trends you saw in the fourth quarter. Uh, So kind of summarizing the end of last year, what were some of the key trends you saw in the back half of last year? Yes, I was talking about the miracle of price stability. Now, I understand (laughs) that, you know, a, a number of commodities did see prices go down, but not to uh, not to a frightening degree. So I think that the general fundamentals in a lot of markets was not such great demand, certainly not, you know, an uptick in demand, a whole year of essentially lackluster demand. And this trickled down to cost. So you don't have a cost push, you don't have a demand push. Uh, I, I think that in that environment, the relative stability that I saw is is really commendable for the supply chain. Looking at it in a different lens after coming through a supply chain crisis on a global basis, but I really got a sense in the past quarter that the supply chain was working together like it hasn't in years before. Not that the market's out to get one another, but you know, there's always that spirit of I'm the seller, you're the buyer. You know, we don't have our interests aligned in a lot of ways, you know, uh, and that I think that having, you know, really looking back and taking the long view of let's be disciplined in our buying, let's be disciplined in our production, let's be disciplined in our distribution. I think that the combined efforts of all of that to, you know, as much as Obviously, the supply chain does partner with, you know, along the way with the uh, the customers and suppliers. But to really see that effort be um, to be really concentrated, I think, gave a result that that was uh, there. There was not a lot of volatility that I saw. At least, nothing that was disruptive to the extent that we were hearing about. It's shocking. I can't believe this, you know, my margins collapsed when I wasn't expecting it, that I really do think that the discipline has um, has really been the story of the quarter. Well, and we're coming off a 
couple of years in a time frame where that was the story. There was shock and awe, and there were these drastic changes, yeah. good, bad, or otherwise, depending which side of the supply chain you're on. I think it must have been the last episode, episode 100. We, uh, you know, Rob was saying in the first 15 years of this business, th- there were no price increases, there were no price decreases. It was just flat, and it was who you like to do business with. And sure, there was some supply outages and things like that. But like when I started, the IMP prices were between 58 and 61 cents just consistently, and that's all that it was. So, you were, you know, that was kind of the norm. And then, like I said, we've been coming out of this time period where it's been drastic increases or decreases. You, you sent me the ethylene and the propylene charts for, I believe, the last year or so. And you see these these peaks and valleys. And then the last half of the year, it really evened out. There was a little bit up and down, but nothing, nothing drastic. So, you know, that coupled with, I think, a lot of people maybe, you know, not buying as much towards the end of the year, keeping a very close eye on inventories and kind of lackluster demand as a whole to the end of last year certainly, I think, helped the stability that you were talking about and was a good good recap of i think how the year ended well i mean even on the buy side let's take the classic purchasing manager common strategy is hold off on your buying especially at the end of the year and you can benefit from a fire sale you know you can make your supplier choke on the inventory and now it's december 20th and you're like i'll take it for you know this price they're like all right but I do think that there may have been more of a sense of to what end, really? You know, yes, you will get that lower price this week, but does that ripple effect mean all of the prices are lower? What has that done to our quarter? Are we now attracting imports? Like that, I think that the the sense, we're going to be talking about the effects of the pandemics and lockdown and supply chain crisis for years. There were a lot of lessons and that, I do think that um, a part of any market's story of evolution, to your point, when you were saying, you know, that that Rob, as someone with a lot of years in the industry, is saying, yeah, for, you know, 15 years, it was really stable. The commoditization of anything demands that there is a measure of volatility as the market discovers the value that the, uh, you know, that that sellers, we see this in markets where sellers maybe would do location exchanges. Oh, I, you know, I made it here, I'll give it to you, you know, right. And now they're charging for it. Now it's commoditizing or a seller is saying, you know, I'm gonna raise my price and the buyer saying, well, I'm gonna take contract minimums. It was never really discussed on a strategic price level for, for a long time. It was more like, no, I don't need any product. It wasn't a move of, I'm gonna squeeze you till you drop the price. So that's, these are to me just very normal parts of when markets commoditize and evolve. And we did see that I think really over the past 10 years for certain chemicals, five years for others, but within the pandemic, taking that to an extreme of really, you know, doing things with your product that maybe weren't in the supply chain's best interest, even if they were in your best interest for that month. I don't think that that was ever really such a such an opportunity before. And those who took that kind of opportunity saw that really didn't work out bigger picture. You might have made the quarter, but you ruined something else, you know, so that the effects of that, again, they're just further evolutions of a market, but coming out of an extreme set of circumstances, I think has given a renewed discipline. I've always liked the personality of the chemical markets. 
you know, not to bash other markets like fuels or things like that, but chemical markets is a very genteel, well-mannered group by and large, I have found. And it's almost like I saw the markets straighten up and say, we're chemicals. We don't play dirty, you know, and that um, if you had behavior that was, you know, maybe like a little questionable, it got dispensed with. And that bring and when that becomes the outlier, you get stability, in my opinion. So that's where I think, especially a product like ethylene, huge product, lots and lots of producers around the world, they're all facing similar things on the demand side. I think that over the past 20 years, the connections of the global demand play into the local markets in a way that there is there is a more concerted discipline on a, on the supply side as well to not flood the market or not withhold from the market in you know in other times. So as a result, we saw the ethylene price at least in the states, which you know continues to be the lowest cost in the world. But we did we didn't see a lot of peaks and valleys relative to um, past years, and I think that for a commodity as huge as that one in terms of, you know, it's, um, it's effects on all the downstream markets. That was, um, that was a pretty welcome baseline, I think, you know, so you can have your trials and tribulations in this grade or that grade of your specialty, this or that, or whatever polymer, but your ethylene was not the problem. Sure. I think by and large. And, you know, it also, I mean, the costs all along the chain were fairly low. So I feel like in a sense where possible, the supply chain took a little bit of uh, extra care to make sure that everybody won as much as possible. I'm not sure that I've everyone, ever heard anyone put a specific personality to the chemical industry, but I like, I, I picture like one of those Sunday cartoons in the back of the newspaper, like the chemical industry here and then fuels and all the other ones next to it, you know, pouting. Yes. Yes, the, we, the we young, to, angry mobs. Yeah, we, we may have to, have a, which, you know. Which of you two is a better drawer? We might need a, we, we, we might need a, a cartoon out of this, I think. <laughs> that could be fun. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, even turning to, uh, to propylene, which, you know, is, is a much smaller market and inherently more volatile. There were supply interruptions or, you know, output interruptions in the U.S. that caused the prices to, to go up. But again, I think that by working consistently further down the supply chain, that stability was ensured there. You know, so we saw, I mean, notably, say, a polypropylene. Polypropylene really setting the demand tone for a lot of other derivatives in that it'll back up to propylene pretty immediately the you know the exact scenario of if buyers hold off buying well maybe that monomer price will come down but if the buyers buy consistently their price stays consistent yep. they can weather they could weather a little bit of a storm it will even out but you didn't destroy your own demand in the process of pursuing a lower feedstock and as much as from what i understand polypropylene demand is you know it's not robust but it's um it's it's performing about as well as it was expected to be sure. so i also think the year looking at all the earnings 
and probably in the second and third quarter, we saw so many announcements of we're going to miss the earnings. We weren't nearly as profitable as we thought. I do think that, um, it, and I understand on a human level, there is a, a desire to want to promise I can make this happen for us, you know, but I think that the, um, I think that we've, we've seen a real pullback in expectations and the expectation of stability is good. We will probably perform the same and you're welcome. That is an attitude that has not been rewarded a lot, but I think that that is where we're at. Well, I think on, on the downstream, you know, sales side, it changes the, the sales strategy, you know, for a long time, especially you know, during the COVID couple of years, you know, you were selling based on who has availability or who has the best price and the best price in a lot of cases could be 10 cents different. I mean, there, there were, you know, it was who's got it and who's got the best price and that's who we're going to buy from now is you kind of find some stability, like you said, for Q4. And if, if that's kind of the trend for the early part of this upcoming year, you know, you're going to go back to some of the sort of old school sales strategies, you know, really nurturing accounts and calling on accounts and entertaining. And, you know, if, if buyers yeah. can get product from a number of different sources at the same lead time and the same price, you got to find something else to differentiate yourself. And it's been a couple of years since that's been the that's been the strategy. So there's definitely a big big pivot there. I think coming to 2024 compared to what we saw the last you know three maybe even four years. No doubt, and um, you know, and again when when the market is wondering, are we back to normal? That's where looking at the first quarter in January, you will see some price increases issued, and. For, you know, some of the more skeptical folks with reference to demand, you're like price increase, you're lucky, you hold on to what you got. But that's a very typical move is a, is a January or first quarter price increase. That is a time of restocking. And I, I think that as much as, you know, we could look back at if we're through the pandemic and that's all in the rearview mirror, we're still trying to figure out, is this, is there going to be a restocking? I just, you know, so that's where I don't, you know, of course you, you always hear cynical comments like increase, you've got the nerve. But, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's well, been, the, that's but, been the exact response. It seems like so far. So. Right. But it's like, but maybe there is a restocking. Maybe there is a return to normal where, an increase in first quarter is is one of your better shots, you know, first and third quarter for that restocking. So, sure. you know, it's it's almost like you can't blame somebody for testing the waters. I'm 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 not seeing anybody ramming increases down anyone's throat. You can't have my product. Nobody's doing that. They're just saying, we'd like to raise the price. Do you think you can handle that? It's almost like a return to that, you know, well-mannered relationship-based conversation where to your point, Ben, you know, there were several years where people didn't especially pay attention to how they were treating you because the salient information was, do you have product? No, buy, yep. you know, precisely. Um, and if you found two people with product, you're like, how much, you know, how much volume, how much price there was none of this, you know, do you think this sector could take this over time? Can we spread out volume? I'd like to, raise the price here and then maybe we'll look at a rollover. What's your feeling on your customers? Nobody had those conversations for years because it was, it was a panic of give me a product. Um, so, you know, I think that this is really in a lot of ways, you know, just wading back into waters of 
is this the normal temperature of the pool again? But that said, we do have some, uh, you know, I know we always talk about what are things you're watching, Kathy? And um, I'm watching the Panama Canal. I'm watching the Red Sea. I'm watching transportation zones that are either unavailable or very difficult. And, you know, when when they're unavailable, that means that you're going a different route that may be a lot longer and that could threaten your entire arbitrage by the time you arrive there. Um, So that may create a little bit of hesitancy to even do a number of international deals. And then, you know, if you're using the Panama Canal, you're going to pay for it. So that also adds to, you know, obviously the price of the whole trip and that, that itself, you know, interferes with margins and, and whatnot. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting. I think being in the big beginning part of this year too, for you know, there's two main things I think about. You know, I think throughout the whole of 2023, you were still comparing your year-to-date numbers to 2022 and maybe even 2021. And I think everyone has that 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 red number inevitably is in double digits and wasn't pretty for anybody. So now you get to a 2024 where you're comparing things to a 2023 and maybe back to a 2019 these kind of quote-unquote normal times so you get that under your belt which is nice we're also sitting at kind of an interesting time you know i'm looking at some graphs here oil is at about a year low and especially up you know for the last six months at a low you know down below 73 dollars natural gas also at a one-year low was much higher this time last year sitting around 270 um down for some lows you know it's not that many months ago you know, back in october it was 350 so we're almost a dollar lower there so we're at some pretty low energy prices which are interesting um and you made a note in the notes you had sent me earlier about propylene prices i think specific to our business a lot of folks are following what pgp is doing which may or may not impact you know some of these price increases or lack thereof for for january and february so what, what are you seeing on that side of things well you know again I think that the story for PGP and, and propylene in general at the monomer level is a supply side story, that the demand has not been a determining factor in that the demand has been, um, I guess the phrase is, you know, nothing spectacular, nothing to write home about sort of thing. But the uh, we did see, we saw a real peak for the PGP above 50 cents in the first quarter. And, you know, it's drifted down since then but then in October, I believe, you know, we had a um, an incident at one of the production units and that immediately has an effect on price. It's not like, you know, refiners, there's hundreds of refineries. It's not like ethylene. There are, you know, dozens of ethylene units. There's not as many propylene units. So, you know, when you have an incident at one of them, it's uh, it's immediately reflected in the market. And if it's not quickly resolved. This is now, you know, it popped the November contract price and that price rolled over in December. And here we are, you know, at the, the 48 cents. But at the same time, I think that propylene and polypropylene have, uh, they've had a, a, a much more symbiotic relationship historically because people in the polypropylene market tie themselves directly to monomer. And that's not true in benzene and ethylene per se. It's a big factor, but it's not like monomer rolled over, we're rolling over. Yep, yep. You know, it's it's not as automatic. So, um, so yeah, I do think, you know, when I look at the forward curves, you know, I love talking about forward trades. They are not forecasts at all. And, you know, and hopefully that's something that as these markets mature, people understand that 
more and more that, you know, that the, the forecast is definitely my colleagues at Chemical Market Analytics have very involved models about forecasts that involve a lot of factors. The forward markets are simply trades in the future. But, you know, in the in the propylene market, for example, the highest trades are occurring in, you know, in um, right now is occurring now because last month the market was in contango. So last month being last week, you would have some trades, you know, in the, the low 40s and the December, January market was in contango, meaning January was a little higher. January's here and it traded a little higher. I mean, this is not a shocking development. So to look at where those forward markets are really, you know, gives you a sense of where things could be going, you know, and um, so if if the propylene is in a backward state, that means that a lot of the faith is in today's market, not in six months. Six months, the price might be lower according to the forward trading patterns. Yep. You know, in, um, in ethylene, there's a contango straight through 2024. So it's not a big contango, it's less than a penny a pound, but um, you know, for anybody out there praying that ethylene falls off the cliff, it's not in the forward market. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. And if anybody has exposure to the ethylene market, they can look at getting involved in that forward market themselves and locking in something that might be in their interest, depending on what their specific risk is. But, you know, I, I just think the forward curves in that aspect are uh, are fascinating because a natural state of affairs would be, <clears throat> excuse me, a contango market that, you know, the cost to carry and just the value of money over time, it should increase a little bit each month. Sure. So when you see a backward market and the strength is today's price, that's the unusual condition. So if that's, you know, so that's the sort of thing to watch for in propylene. If you think the market's overheated, it's probably backward. So I just think that those are interesting things to pay attention to throughout the year in any market. But yeah, in propylene in particular, it did it did swing higher on reduced availability of product. Yep. So that speaks to, again, not that demand was spectacular, but demand was such that it supported higher prices. Sure, sure. Um, and I'm also looking at uh, the second graph you had sent me, and I'm looking at a very flat, or I guess relatively flat, since I suppose nothing's ever actually flat, but a relatively flat benzene graph uh, trading back since October, you know, maybe trending down yeah. a hair, but the flattest it's been at least through last year for any sustained period of time. Um, so what are, your, what are your thoughts on benzene these days? I mean, I think, you know, we're all still thinking of $7 benzene going, remember that? That was crazy, right? Fun times. This is, yeah, this is not <laughs> that, right? But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, prices have drifted lower in benzene. We just had a, a contract settle a little bit lower, but, you know, uh, again, nothing that is all that volatile. I think a continuation of a phenomenon we saw throughout this year was ethylbenzene. Ethylbenzene is something that, to my recollection, was not really a, a developed commodity. It's a commodity, but it, it didn't have a life of its own. Spot ethylbenzene. Who's doing spot ethylbenzene? Well, they were doing it this year. They're doing it this month. They're doing it this week. Yep. Spot ethylbenzene is a real popular gasoline blend stock. And 
that historically has not especially been the case. Cumene, gasoline, as in used as a gasoline blend stock, of course, it always could have been, and it has been on occasion, but economically, it's um, for cumene and for ethyl benzene, this has worked out really well for gasoline blenders and for styrene producers on the ethyl benzene side. They can absorb those benzene prices because they're not they're not storing benzene for a reduced styrene unit. They're making ethyl benzene. You know, there's not a lot of styrene plants in North America to begin with, but if you talk to anyone involved in that market and you're saying, you know, how's production, they're like, it's fine. And I said, well, you're making ethyl benzene, right? They're like, why wouldn't we? You know, so right, right. that I think that again, and there was a point over the summer that one of the biggest remarks I had heard in the aromatics market in Europe and the US was, thank God for gasoline. So I think the gasoline really came through as a hero for chemicals that could be used in that pool. And that really, you know, it shows the versatility of chemicals. You know, you can make epoxy resin or gasoline blend stocks, you know, chemical, you know, chemically, there are some wonderful versatilities in these products and that really, that really came to, to light in 2023. And that really, in my mind also kept benzene in particular, relatively stable through the quarter and lends an air of further stability, even in the face of pretty weak styrene or styrene chain demand. An interesting thing, I guess, with that point too, is, you know, gasoline prices are relatively low, all things considered. It's a, We've seen kind of a slow decrease time over time, and uh, you know, I think I don't know where we are now on regular gas prices, at least up here in New England, something three twenty, three thirty, something like that. Um, but it slowly trickled down from three sixty and three seventy where it was quarter fall time. So um, you know, gas prices have have sort of decreased as well, which has been a, a you know nice perk for the consumer, I'm sure at least. Right. Yeah. No doubt. So, um, so it sounds like overall, you know, the, the key summary for Q4 and, you know, sort of outlook for Q1 are similar. And that is, you know, the general stability and kind of a return to, to normalcy, it, it seems like, is kind of what you're seeing. Well, you know, I, I hope it doesn't sound dramatic, but it's like a desperation for normalcy. Yeah. You know, and, and it really is, I mean, especially... Look at somebody like yourself, and you've got a number of years in the industry, not as many as maybe, you know, your management and, you know, and some of your other colleagues, but you've been there long enough where you're like, people, we know how to create stability. We do. We just, you know, maybe we're not getting that two cents. How much is that two cents worth to us over two years? You know, or how much is this one customer worth? These sensibilities, I think, are the sort that we're we're seeing return in a way of what is your goal? It is, of course, a number, but you know, can you deal with this number and get the benefits of of a stability that is perhaps more important to your bottom line than a pop in this quarter? Yeah, it's, we were talking before we started recording too. We we did our hundredth episode and we're talking just about the you know kind of summarizing the year and where things are at and everything. And you know, obviously we've got guys on our side that have been here 15, 20, 30 years, and so they've seen the yeah. stability and they've seen the craziness over the last five, six, seven years. But I've been here five, six, seven years, and that's all I've known is yeah. is hectic and craziness and disaster after you know incident after whatever it might be that are 
driving some of these markets crazy. So yeah, I think stability, you know, I think the, as you framed it, the desperation for stability is, is welcomed. You know, you can talk about something else besides just availability and pricing and it's going back to building relationships and who you like to do business with and who's, you know, who, who treats you well and can deliver on time and that whole thing rather than just purely yeah. availability and price. Well, yeah. And I also think, you know, I, I do, I place a high value on crisis management ability, you know, and certainly we saw a lot of people thrive in a crisis, but this really, I think that the new year could herald a real return of appreciation of long-term strategy. We haven't really had that opportunity in a while. So, you know, again, if you can, if you know how to do stability with you and your suppliers and your customers, and you take care of your corner of the world and other people are taking care of theirs. And there's a, a sense of we can, we can build a strategy now that we're not fighting the fire anymore. Yep. Yep. Again, you know, unless you, you're trying to navigate the Panama Canal or something, yeah. <laughs> but, right. uh, you know, but, but for now, I really do think that, you know, looking at the, the charts I had sent you and reading reports around the globe there. Yeah. There's, there demand is still a concern, it, you know, and that's how do you really stimulate demand in a meaningful way for certain products, but at the same time, cost is also pretty low. So, you know, so what are the opportunities in between those two things? Well, not just how much demand is going to be there and creating demand, but figuring out what kind of normal is supposed to look like. You know, you certainly can't compare demand and pound shipped in 2020 and 2021 to where it's going to be this year. Um, so that's a difficult thing for a lot of companies, you know, forecasting and figuring out what there's obviously demand there. People are still buying there's, there's certainly business happening. Houses are still being built and whatnot. Just a matter of figuring out, yeah. you know, you hear from some people like, Oh, you know, I heard in January, things are going to pick way back up again. It's like, well, there's, there's, unless another drastic world event happens, there's no reason for it to drastically pick up again. That's just kind of the level of normalcy we've reached. And there, there's X amount of pounds per year available. And that's, that's the world we're living in. And you got to obviously craft a strategy right. around that. Well, yeah, no doubt. I understand that, you know, there's a slowdown in maybe home buying and, you know, related to interest rates and whatnot, sure. but there's also different government actions and measures that have encouraged not just building, but replacement building. So the construction industry, I think is, you know, it's, um, it's definitely not as volatile as it was, you know, during lockdowns and supply chain problems. But I think the construction industry is, is still relatively stable. And, you know, it's interesting just watching that industry, say from a plastic pipe perspective or, you know, or anything, doors, you know, anything that's being generated from petrochemicals and coatings and paints and whatnot, that um, the, the cyclicality has been the volatility. But to have a few years where the cyclicality is thrown out the window, it makes those markets, I think, appreciate um, the opportunity to be more strategic relative to the weather, that it's not just, oh, you know, it's November, better stop building. It's like, well, are we going to have good weather till January? Maybe we can still build. That's um, you know, just slightly modified approaches to things that can, um, when, you know, as, as you know, when you have measured buying, when you don't have a stoppage and then a, you know, panic or something, 
when you have measured buying, that sets that sets a, a nice little floor for uh, for the entire chain. Well, that's, and similarly, and, and that's you a know, big... on the uh, oh, no, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say on the on the supplier side, a tendency of ending the year with almost no inventory. You know, if that just a little bit of an adjustment to that can set sure. a different ceiling. Sure. You know, so so that volatility doesn't have the same, um, you know, floor and ceiling as it might have in years gone by. Well, that's but a big that's a big trend. Saying, Sp- speaking of things we're keeping an eye on, you know, I know you were mentioning you're watching the Panama Canal. We've heard from a lot of folks there's you know a lot of money expected to flow into industry this year for some of these construction bills or infrastructure bills that you know we've heard from more than a handful of folks that you know companies are waiting to produce product and put projects in motion until that they're able to qualify for some of this government stimulus money so whether uh, i'm not sure the specific timing on some of that money you know hitting folks accounts to actually be able to spend but that's it's a big thing we're going to see i think this year you know buying and and new products and and production increasing specifically tied to some of these infrastructure bills so that's it's going to be a big big topic for the year it seems like as well yeah no doubt and you know probably not in 2024 but you think you know any we we saw the uh the boom of the diy improvements during 2020 you know the second half of the year i'm going to build that deck i'm going to redo the kitchen you're not going to redo the kitchen again but you might you know you might do a section you might repaint you might you know get sure. different counters or you know whatever there there's a, a certain amount of extension onto onto that that um that could also you know come up in in different measures in you know, in different resin markets or paint markets, things like that, and and everything associated with them. Yep. So, what else is coming up for uh, for this year? You're starting to travel a little bit. I know we have AFPM coming up in uh, March. That I'm sure you'll be at. What uh, what are the what, what's coming up for springtime here for you? Or I guess still winter, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, at least in New Jersey, the sun is shining, but it is cold. <laughs> um, I do think that there i think that there is there's a renewed appreciation for in-person experiences as much as companies do realize that they can get by with no travel and you know again it's you know how much money can you save versus how much business can you hold on to without distinguishing yourself with that sort of a thing but um but that said you know i'm finding um, one of, you know, one of my hot topics always for the past few years has been renewables, sustainable, you know, and really watching the trend of how to get there. Is it bio? Is it, re- you know, is it recycled? Is, you know, and that sort of a thing. And I just, I find that a lot of conferences, maybe previously, there are a lot of conferences targeted at that but that conferences like AFPM are building that in. So there's more general conferences that are addressing, this is a concern for every single person at this conference, not just our sustainability director, you know? So, um, and so I think that, you know, again, that speaks to strategy, sustainable products or renewable or recycled products. The fact is they're more expensive than, 
what oil-based or gas-based or fossil-based commodities, but um, you know, so you really have to measure what's what's our company goal and how much are we willing to go out and and do this type of business, knowing that it's not as competitive price-wise. You know, so it's a it's a different kind of pursuit than we've seen ever before. But I think that uh, you know, in terms of travel, that um, that there are there's more sustainable related um, opportunities at regular events, as they say. Yeah. You know, yep, like yep. the uh, the bigger shows, and that's um, you know, so you can you can um, you can converse with people on that level there rather than you know make it i don't think that uh sustainability is such a specialty topic anymore that it's more of a, a regular topic you know maybe two or three years ago you and i could be talking and and i would bring up like well what are you guys doing about sustainability and renewable and recyclable and you're like oh eh, we're looking at it i don't know but now it's a part of your life yeah i mean it's just straight up regular business to you guys oh, yeah. and the question is the model and how did it work? And are we going to do more of it? But it's not, should we do it? Exactly. Everybody is already doing it now. Yep, yep. Well, we appreciate having you on as always. It was another uh, excellent chat. Good summary of kind of the end of last year. And then obviously what to expect for the upcoming year. I think the, the quarterly recaps between, you know, calendar years are always some of the best ones just to sort of recap what happened in the year and think about what's to come. So we certainly appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you down at the AFPM, if not sooner, and then having you come up to our new uh, booth space here sometime in April once the leaves start to turn a little bit and it gets a little bit nicer up here. So we look forward to having you back in Jamestown sometime soon. Oh, thank you. I really, I always enjoy the opportunity to talk with you and I look forward to seeing you and your team Definitely at uh, the AFPM, but as you say, possibly before. That and sounds... I look forward to uh, to christening the new studio when I'm up there. Yes, we look forward to it. We look forward to it. Thanks, Kathy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Material contained on this podcast is provided by the chemical company solely for informational purposes. The information is not guaranteed to be correct, complete, or up-to-date. The information in the podcast is intended solely as a general education aid. TCC is providing this podcast as a public service, but it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of TCC policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by TCC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views and opinions expressed by TCC employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of TCC or any of its officials. All statements, comments, and opinions presented are made in the context of robust dialogue and freedom of expression. TCC assumes no responsibility for any consequence relating directly or indirectly to any action or inaction taken based on the information in this podcast. While TCC strives to keep the information in the podcast accurate, complete, and up-to-date, we cannot guarantee and will not be responsible for any damage or loss related the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the information. TCC assumes no liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on the podcast is provided entirely on an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness.